Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Really nice to be able to uh, get together. Really appreciate those of you who have come from other areas and uh, are visiting with us. It's always uh, always a pleasure. Uh, have some of our own out of town this week, and I'm sure there's still some that are <laughs> feeling a little bit ill from uh, the wonderful month of January. <clears throat> I'm really ready pro to proclaim myself completely healthy. Uh, and uh, that's a dangerous thing to do. So I, <laughs> as, uh, as, as Nicole has, re has reminded me with her keep getting something. <laughs> so, uh, but good to, be, good to be with all of you. Uh, the principle <clears throat> of returning to the Lord is something that we see all the way through Scripture and has been repeated uh, over and over again. Uh, the passage that was read for us, I'll emphasize one main uh, point from that passage in Isaiah 63 and verse 16, where you see uh, Isaiah saying, For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. Do you, do you see what he's saying there? Isaiah is saying, I know you know, I know you are our God, and I know you know that we are supposed to be your people. But if Abraham were able to come back from the dead and see us, or Jacob come back from the dead and see us, they would not even recognize who we are. They would not even know that we were supposed to be the people of God. There seems always to be a tendency of people to be tired of the way God set it up so many years before and the way he put together worship. Compare this to Isaiah chapter 6, or excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16 and 17. Jeremiah says, God saying through Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you, saying, pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. In other words, to the warning of God. But they said, we will not pay attention. It is interesting, by the time you get to Jeremiah's day, the people are right on the verge of God having the Babylonian Empire completely obliterate them and destroy them. And yet, they will not listen to God's call. They will not listen to what God is saying. They won't turn back, as the Lord says here, to the ancient ways. That's hard for us. Every generation says, oh, we just know so much better than that previous generation. We're just so much smarter than everybody else. But God has a standard that he always put together. You see that same thing emphasized in the New Testament. In Philippians 4 and verse 9, Paul, as he closes the letter to the Philippians, says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Just look at all the words he uses there. What you've learned from me, what you've received from me, what you've heard from me, and what you've seen in me. Only an apostle could say that. Only one whom God had inspired with his word and had told him how to live and that Paul was doing that could actually say those words. He set himself up along with the other 12 apostles as the authority by which everyone who were Christians were to follow. Twelve times in the book of 1 Corinthians, twelve times, 
Paul reminds the Corinthians, since they were going off and listening to other false preachers, he reminds them that what he taught them were the commandments of the Lord, and what he taught them was something that he taught in every single church and expected every single church to follow the same way. He says it in these words in one place, in 1 Corinthians 4, and verse 16 and 17. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. Again, who could say that but an apostle of the Lord? Be imitators of me. And then he says, that is why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. And notice these last words, which are repeated many times in 1 Corinthians, as I teach them everywhere in every church. That's the standard. And when we serve the Lord, the bottom line is we must go back to the standard. It may be 2,000 years old. And it's certainly true that people in every generation got tired of the standard and decided there were some new ways and better ways than the old ancient paths and the ancient ways. In the month of February, beginning today, I have de I'm devoting our lessons on Sunday morning to the idea of the church and what it is. You might say, that just seems weird. I don't know. How basic can you get, etc. I guarantee you that most of the people that you will ever talk to who are religious in the whole world do not understand this word. And unfortunately, there is a large percentage of Christians that don't understand it either. They don't really understand what's going on. And the reason is, is because we have grown up in a culture that is so different than the way God originally had it in the first century, that it is just like Isaiah said in Isaiah 63. Abraham would not recognize us. Jacob would not recognize us. Jesus would not recognize us if we were to follow many of the ways that goes on in the world around us. And so this is, we need to go back to the standard. We need to go back to the pattern that God gave in the New Testament in the very beginning, when Jesus and the apostles set up the way we were to serve God and how the word church fits into that service and that work before God. So this is where we'll begin this morning. I'm going to start with a quotation that will give you a little bit of an idea of what we are faced with as far as understanding this idea of church. Um, this is a quotation from the beginning of a commentary on Ephesians. It is written by a Christian. It is written by someone that uh, is, uh, has you know, certainly a good, uh, a good heart about him. But uh, I hope you'll be able to see this as we read it and be able to understand where he has missed this badly. He said this, in Colossians, Paul emphasizes the supremacy of Christ. With everything that God is, has to give man being realized, enjoyed, and experienced exclusively in him. Then in the book of Ephesians, Paul emphasizes the supremacy of the church. In so doing, he shows that the church is the fullness of him that fills all in all. With everything Christ has to, has, has to give, is to be, uh, has 
to give, I think I typed that wrong, given to us, being experienced, enjoyed, and obtained exclusively in the church. In fact, Colossians teaches that there is just one spiritual blessing to be received outside of Christ. It is to that extent that Christ is not the fullness of the Godhead. In like manner, if there is just one spiritual blessing that can be received outside the church, it is to that extent the church is not the fullness of Christ. Okay, I'm going to highlight some words here. First off, he, he makes equal the supremacy of Christ and the supremacy of the church. Secondly, he, he talks about what everything Christ has given to us being experienced and enjoyed and is obtained exclusively in the church. Okay, you, you might have recognized he's using church as an institution here. He's using it like we and the church are something different, and we get into the church in order to receive these exclusive blessings that are only found in the church. And as he even emphasizes that in the very end, that one, if there's even one spiritual blessing that can be received outside the church, it's the extent the church is not the fullness of Christ. So uh, this just illustrates just a little bit about what we're talking about when we look at this idea of church and what is really meant here. If I were to ask the question just about of anybody, uh, when was the church established or when did the church start, almost everybody would say, well, it started in Acts chapter 2. It started on the day of Pentecost, and that's when the church started. That is a, a, uh, an unfortunate answer that has often been given and, and really is misleading and gives an incorrect idea. So let's begin just there. I would like you to consider first the origin of this word church. Now it might be surprising to you to find out, and most of you would be ahead of me and going, I know, I know the Greek word of church. It's ekklesia. That's about the most Greek that, uh, that uh, most Christians have. It's, it's ekklesia. Well, what's interesting is the word church is not a translation of the Greek word ekklesia. Uh, church did not come from the word ekklesia. And, and again, I understand that may be shocking, but here's the Greek word actually for church is this word kyriakos. And it is not in the New Testament. <clears throat> the word kyriakos is never in the New Testament. And yet the word church would come from this word kyriakos. Uh, the only place that there is a kyriakos or a, there's a derivative of the term that is Lord's Supper or the Supper of the Lord. That is a derivative of it, but it's never used in the scriptures as far as referencing the idea of church or what the church is. Oxford English Dictionary points out, the English translation of church came from Kyriakos, meaning house of the Lord. I've emphasized up here, the word Lord is not in capital, is not capitalized. Because it came about, about, about 300 years after Christ, in which ecclesia was carried over into the Latin, well, when translations came years later, carried over into the Latin and the Romance languages, but, but ecclesia was not carried over into English and German languages and, the, uh, and, and a number of other types of languages that fit into that category. 
Kyriakos means the house of the Lord, meaning, for example, your house. If you own a house, then Kyriakos would fit that, word, that term concerning your house. It is the house of you, the owner or master. And that's what the word actually means. And as I mentioned, it began in about 300 A.D., when church buildings began to be called Kyriakos, that is, house of the Lord. It was the building itself that was Kyriakos, not the meaning. In fact, the German term is Kirchi. You might recognize that if you know me. That's where my name came from. There was a town over there, Kirchville, Churchville, Churchtown, and that's, that's again, the idea that is given there. So just to give you a start on already, you're seeing something very, very odd. We read in our Bibles the word church, and yet the word church's origin in our English Bibles actually comes from referring to the building as the house of the Lord, whether your own personal house or a house built uh, for a, a place of worship. This, is the, this has been the idea all the way there. Well, what, what does that do, and what is the effect of that? Well, first and foremost, the effect has been where people put their allegiance. They put their allegiance to a place of worship or to a group instead of their allegiance being to Christ. They have an allegiance to the church. That allegiance has ended up in a consumerism type of thing where uh, people talk about what, what your church does and what our church does, and we begin to advertise church. Church is the important thing. Church is what we want you to be in. Church is the whole idea. Instead of an allegiance to Christ, and we have an allegiance to Christ, the outcome of that is a group of people who worship together. But that has, again, is part of the twist that goes on there. So let's look a little bit further. Uh, church is how our English Bible translates ecclesia, obviously, even though that is not the Greek word for church. Now, let me make clear, that's okay. We're going to flip out about that. We're not going to say, oh goodness, let's go through our Bible and take a felt pen and, and mark out church or something like that. That's not the idea. Church is fine as long as we understand what it is, as long as we understand that this is not uh, a, a reference to the original meaning of Kyriakos. And so if we have to understand the meaning then of church as it comes from ecclesia. All right, so if I ask many of you, well, what does uh, the Greek word ecclesia mean? Well, here's the next thing that would come up. Well, somebody says it came from two Greek words, this ek, which means out, and kaleo, which means to call. And so what the church is, it's the called out. It's we are called out by God, and when he refers to us as the church, he's referring to us as the called out. Well, that sounds really, really good. It's just not true. <laughs> uh, yes, the Bible calls us, people whom God has called out, but that's not the meaning of ecclesia. As Tom Hamilton would say, he was a professor at, uh, uh, at Florida College, he says that is a problem with a root fallacy, where we take a Greek word and we look it up and we see the 
came from two different words, and we say, well, here's what ek meant, and here's what kaleo meant, and so therefore, it's, uh, it means called out. Well, uh, that doesn't work with the word butterfly, by the way. Uh, you might want to try that. <laughs> uh, there, there, you can't look at the root of, especially whether English or any language, and see where the root came from and then come up with a definition of it. It doesn't work that way. Probably the best way to indicate that is our English word tank, like military tank. That originated during World War I when a military tank was actually a secret weapon and it was boxed up in a big crate and so they didn't want to reveal what, was, what it was and so they stamped on the outside tank as in water tank and it stuck. And so from then on the military tank has been referred to as basically a water tank. Well go look at the root word and then look at a military tank and see if you can see a relationship between the two. You cannot. But it illustrates the point that you simply can't go to the root meaning of something and then decide that that's what it still means today. It just doesn't, it doesn't fly. Well, the same thing with ecclesia. Ecclesia in the first century simply referred to a group of people, a bunch of people. Sometimes those people might be assembled. Sometimes they might be distributed throughout an area like when uh, Saul made havoc of the church, <laughs> what was he doing? Well, he was making havoc, havoc of Christians everywhere, everywhere he could get to them. So in that sense, he was make, making havoc of a group of people, sometimes assembled, sometimes not assembled. So when you read the word church, it is important to understand that ecclesia was used for all the way through the Bible. This is, this is the problem with saying, when did the church start? Um, well, if you're talking about ecclesia, you're just talking about an assembly of people. It's used over 50 times just in the Septuagint, Old Testament Greek translation of the Hebrew. In the Old Testament, the word ecclesia is used about 50 times. And you can see, I've given some examples up here, Deuteronomy 9, 10, 4, 10, 18, 16, and Oodles others, which just refers to the assembly of Israel. It refers to when God called Israel together and gathered them in an assembly. That's all it was referring to. And so the idea is, it is simply a plain, common word for group of people or bunch of people. Now, does that rub you a little wrong? <laughs> is it a little uncomfortable to refer to the Lord's church as simply a bunch of people? I hope it does. Because that's the way it was intended. It's not a religious term. It's plain vanilla ice cream. <laughs> no fancies here. It's just a bunch of people. That's all it is. It's not religious. That you can see already 
that when we think of church as a religious term, it's going to throw us off base as we begin to read the scriptures about it. We're going to begin to look at the word in some kind of special and religious way. And that's not the idea at all when we look then at the scriptures. That's not how that, how that works. Um, consider this. Even in the New Testament, the word ecclesia is used not referring to what we would say is the Lord's church. When Stephen gives his sermon in Acts chapter 7 to the Sanhedrin council, what he does is, is he actually refers in chapter 7 verse 38 to the church in the wilderness. And it's always translated church. It's translated congregation or group or something like that. But he's referring to the Israel in the Old Testament as the ecclesia, just because it was a group, that's all. He's not trying to make it a special word in any way. If you look in your Bibles, in fact, to Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 19, you'll see the word ecclesia used three different times, none of which are referencing the Lord's church. Uh, Acts 19, there is a riot going on in Ephesus over the fact that Paul has been teaching there and idols are, 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 are being defamed, so to speak. And so in, chap in chapter uh, 19 and verse 32, you see uh, Luke recording for us, Now some cried out one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion and most of them did not know why they had come together. The word assembly there is the word ecclesia. Nothing special about this assembly, nothing religious about this assembly. It's an assembly of riotous pagans is what it is. Now can you imagine for a moment what it would have been like if our, uh, if our uh, translators, going back to 1600, had translated ecclesia the same way they translated ecclesia in all other places of the scriptures. You would have just seen assembly or group or something like that when it referred to even the Lord's people. And it would have then taken away that idea of a special religious term at all. And so, in fact, going on to verse 39, again it is used when the town clerk says, but if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in a regular assembly. Well, this was a political, basically a political assembly. Verse 41, and when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. He dismissed the ecclesia. Now imagine the other side of the coin. What if Luke... Or what if the translators had have decided that the word ecclesia meant church, and every time they saw the word ecclesia, they translated church. So he dismissed the church here. Or the church was riotous or something like this. And we'd go, whoa, what's going on? You see again the idea. It's not a religious term. It's a common term. It's just a term just like you and I would use if I said, Hey, everybody come on over to our house. We'll have a big, uh, a big fun group of people together and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, do some, we'll eat and we'll do some things or uh, we'll, we'll invade Alan's house and watch Super Bowl. You know, we'll, we'll do those things. That, that would be the same kind of assembly that is being used. It's just a common word all the way throughout the scriptures, this non-religious term. So... Think about Acts 2.47. Here's where you twist your mind a little bit. 
How do you complete that sentence there? And the Lord added to the... <laughs> Everybody thinks usually church. Uh, everybody, the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. And uh, you might not realize that ecclesia is not even in that verse. <laughs> Shock. <laughs> that, is, that was in the King James Version. That's not a problem with it. I'm going to show you where it's not a problem with it. But it's in the King James Version. The Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. In all of the more modern versions, and all the updated versions, beginning with the American Standard Version way on back, it says, and they added, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Does that make more sense? Okay. So when we read the Lord added to the church day by day, because we already had in our mind that church is something different than us, if that church refers to an institution or church refers to an organization, we're thinking then, okay, church is really special over here. The Lord built His church. There's nobody in it yet, but when they are baptized into Christ, then He adds them to His church. And we saw the church as some magical institution, so to speak, that is mystical sitting up near. And I'll tell you what, 95% of the commentaries you're ever going to read are going to see it that way. That's the way they look at it because of this institution picture that's given of the church. And so this is, it's, it's like, uh, for those of you who are old, and you might remember uh, Robert Turner, the, uh, the uh, really wonderful Texas preacher, he, he talked about how people look at the church as, as a little red, red wagon that that uh, the Lord built, and uh, you get in the little red wagon, and, and, uh, and you, you go to heaven that way. And then after you know, a few years, the little red wagon broke down, and it got all messed up, and so then people had to come and restore the little red wagon to back the way the, the God originally had it, so everybody could get in the right red rag wagon. And you know, it's just that kind of... Uh, of craziness, but that's where this went. So, ecclesia is not that. It's a non-religious term just referring to people, and it is a collective noun. One person is not a church. I love it when somebody says, what are you? Oh, I'm Church of Christ. No, you're not. <laughs> well, I'm this, I'm that. No, you're not. You're one person. Uh, you used to come to say to me, you know, you say, hey, you, 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 got, you got a herd of cows? Oh, yeah, I got a herd of cows. Let me see him. There he is. No, you can't have a herd of cows and only have one cow. There is a group here that is a collective noun. It refers, one, if you said there's one herd of cows, it has a lot of cows in it. If you said, there, well, there's one church over here, well, it has a lot of people in it. It's not one person. This is, the again, an idea that, that goes Cuckoo. Uh, Jesus did not say, I'm going to build my salvation organization, and if you get in it, then you'll be saved. And that was what was the, the quotation that I gave in the beginning, pretty well suggested that you have to get into this mystical organization, the salvation organization, like it's the ark of Noah. 
You know, it's like get in the ark, get in the church, and you'll be saved from destruction. That's not the way to look at that. People even talk about, I fe- did you know they fell away from the church? They didn't fall away from the church. They fell away from Jesus. That's what they fell away from. And Jesus removed them from his group of saved people. That's what happened. That's what the scriptures would talk about. Those who are not written in the book of life are those who are not in God's church. That's his business and not ours. And that's the picture there. So every time you read the word church, here's what you do. You plug in group of people or a bunch of people, and I guarantee you, if you do that, you will never, ever misunderstand the text. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I will build my group of people. That makes sense? Of course it does. That's exactly what he did. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So looking at this biblically changes, hopefully, our perspective. We've got a lot more to say about this in future lessons this month. But this is the foundation of it. This is where it begins. Let's talk just a little bit here about the abuses that's taken place today. Church is now used to draw people. <clears throat> well, you know, you, you come to our church and we've got this daycare, we've got a school, we've got this music that really entertains, we've got good fellowship, we've got young people, we've got youth ministers, we've got you know, on and on and on. It's a club advertisement is what it is. Jesus is our draw. We are not the draw. <laughs> we are fallible people who seek the forgiveness of the Lord and want everybody else to seek that forgiveness. And that's what we are. You realize the word ecclesia is only used twice in all the gospel accounts? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is no such ecclesia used except twice. And passages are up here. The first one, chapter 15, verse 17, Jesus isn't even talking in that place about his future church that he is going to build or a group of people. He's not even talking about it there. So there's only one place where he's actually talking about his church, and that's Matthew 16, 18, when he says, upon this rock I'll build my church, my group of people. You say, church is never emphasized there? No, it's not. What is emphasized? The kingdom. The kingship of Jesus is emphasized. You need to come to the king. You need to obey the king. You know, when a king back in those days made a statement, made an edict, made a command, you didn't vote on it. It didn't go through a Congress. It didn't go through the House of Representatives or a Senate. You did what the king said or you died. Period. Well, the king has come. The king of heaven and earth who created all things, and he has come, and he is setting up his rule that he is giving from heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew said. And the obedience is to be to the king and his kingdom. Even in the book of Acts, Luke repeatedly does use ecclesia. But he never once uses it in any sermon preached to people. He never used it in a sermon to bring people to Christ or to talk people into coming to Christ. He uses the word kingdom. He's saying there's a new king. 
And you need to obey the king. This king raised from the dead. This king has been exalted to the throne and reigns today and will reign until all enemies are put under his feet. And you have a choice to either come into his kingdom and obey the king or to be his enemy and he will crush you. That's the message over and again. Church is the result of people coming to the king. It's just a result of people coming to the king and him being adding them to his group of saved people and then those same people meeting together. <coughs> Church or people are not the message. They're not the draw. Jesus is the draw. We advertise Jesus. We advertise what he's done and what he's doing. And that's where we must go. So does this mean that the local church is not important? Does it mean that church is not important? Of course it doesn't mean that. To say that you are part of Christ's church would indicate that he has added you to his group of saved people, whether they are dead or alive. God's church refers to dead people too, who serve Christ, but are now dead. They are still in his church. They're not in a local church. A local church is referring to something different. And a local church is important because the result of preaching the gospel all the way through Acts resulted in people obeying Christ and then doing as Christ said and gathering together as a group in order to do Christ's will. And that's why he talks about the local church as a body with many members. It would look pretty funny if there was no just a body was made up of one member. No, there's a reason for a collective. There's a reason for us meeting together. A local church is to keep each individual Christian strong and built up and equipped. And we've talked so much about that, we're not going to spend time on that now. But it is that idea. God's church is a result of obeying Christ. It's what, what happens when people obey Jesus. And secondly, God's local church is what people who've obeyed Jesus do when they obey God and join together with other Christians to accomplish his work. That's the idea of church. That's our starting point. Stay tuned, same station next week, Lord willing. If you're not a Christian, this is about serving Christ. And our Christian this is about coming to him and obeying the king. If you understand what you need to do to obey the king, uh, you have an opportunity to respond to that. If you don't understand what that means, we'd love to study with you. We'd love to talk with you. Either way, you can let that be known, either personally afterwards or while we stand and sing this particular song.